0: It's the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts,
1: Agent ETA, Agent Kruger, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you. This week's episode, nuclear shenanigans and tomfoolery, power hour. All right, I guess I'll start us off here talking a little bit about nuclear weapons, what they are, how they work, and etc. So I wanted to kind of go a little into depth on the science behind it, but then I started reading up on the science behind it and I said, hmm, that's that's a little bit above my head. So I'm just going to be real, real basic about how it works, the different kinds of bombs they have and stuff. So the nuclear weapons, the ones that were used in World War II, they work by splitting the atom, and that generates a, a ton of energy involved. I think uh, I forget the exact number, but one of the bombs that I think the one that blew up Nagasaki, I was reading, the plutonium core was about five kilograms, which is, I don't know, what is that, like three pounds or something? This little three-pound ball of metal basically blew up an entire freaking city. It's, it's crazy. Just how yeah. powerful these things are, but there's humans out there with three three pound bowls. Yeah, I heard. <laughs> you know, I heard a rumor that Joey Diaz, <laughs> if you know who that is,
0: <laughs> yeah, Joey Co- Coco Diaz, yeah. the stand up comedian.
1: Yeah, I heard. I heard he has a bit where he pulls him out on stage or something, but I don't, I've never seen it, and I definitely am not going to Google it. So it just, <laughs> <laughs> I avoid about this bit. It, it'll remain a mystery to me. <laughs> So that was – yeah, so the first type of nuclear weapon they developed was just the nuclear fission. It's called F-I-S-S-I-O-N, and that's splitting the atom. The more powerful type, known as the fusion type or hydrogen bomb or thermonuclear bomb, it uses the more primitive fission type of bomb to blow up even more stuff. So like the bomb that blew up like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, that's just Mm -hmm. like the fuse to light an even bigger bomb and cause – even more massive destruction. It's just, it's crazy. And so what it does is it use, it blows up the first bomb and it uses like gamma rays and X-rays to bombard and heat and compress the thermonuclear fuel. And that heats that up so much that it causes like a secondary explosion. And there are theoretical designs that can use many stages of this. You could use 10 different steps and explode like a whole lot of stuff. I don't know how much, but... Uh, one example of a three-stage bomb was the Tsar Bomba, which I may or may not get around to talking to, but it's the biggest bomb ever set off on the planet by far. It was let off by Russia, I think in 1961, um, and it was, it was shattering windows for like hundreds and hundreds of miles away. Like imagine mm-hmm. if you let the bomb off in Los Angeles, it would be shattering windows where I live, like north of San Francisco. It's crazy.
0: But yeah, yeah. that was that was that one of those high atmosphere explosions or
1: yeah or tests. The, sort of? the explosion didn't the fireball didn't actually touch the ground. The I think they blew it up at like ten thousand or thirteen thousand feet, and mm-hmm. the the shockwave hit the ground and bounced back up and actually kept the fireball from touching down on the ground. <laughs> it's huh. how powerful it as <laughs> it's crazy, but. So those are the the two most common types of nuclear bombs that most people are probably aware of. One, splitting the atom. The second type, fusing the atoms together. So combining atoms to make larger elements. Uh, I guess I'm not 100% on the science, but I guess that releases even more energy. But there are actually other bombs that have been developed. Um, For example, the neutron bomb, which was designed to have a smaller explosion but release a lot more radiation in the form of neutrons. And the idea here is that you could bomb a city, melt all the people, but the buildings and infrastructure and stuff would be intact. So you could just like kind of roll in and take over their factories and stuff, I guess, which is uh, to me just completely terrifying that they actually have dirty.
0: That's dirty, man.
1: Yeah. It is bad enough with the, the ones that they dropped on Japan, but this one somehow seems even worse. Somehow. I don't know.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, there, there's going to be quite a few people that it's going to be right, one of the worst ways to go possible, you know?
1: Right. Or it might be pretty quick. Hopefully. I would, I would hope.
0: Uh, yeah. yeah, Well, yeah. 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 Definitely for people, people close to the explosion for sure. Yes, but yeah. Yeah. Pe- people in the, the lesser fallout areas and stuff are, they're going to go the hard way. I would hate you know?
2: to melt. <laughs> that would be the worst. Oh, yeah. That would oh, be man. the worst.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What was that one have you, I remember uh years and years ago when I was younger I saw an anime a Japanese anime that was about the uh the, those bombs being dropped on um I, I don't remember if it was Nagasaki or Hiroshima but uh the the holy crap was it a uh a very graphic it, it, was a, it was it was a sad damn story man it was it was, it was like it was, it was yeah it was, it was hard to watch at some points you know it's, it's just like damn they they freaking put some dedication into making this. Cause I, like I kept on thinking that throughout that, like the the whole thing was, this must have been pretty damn difficult for somebody from that country to make. You mm, know? Yeah. I
2: mean?
1: Yeah, I was reading about yeah. it earlier and looking at pictures and stuff, and it. Put, I, World War Two was a hell of a war. That's all. <laughs> you know? Holy shit.
0: And so so many different ways, yeah. So so many different arenas. Yeah. Yeah, worldwide. That uh, yeah. Some of that's the atrocities were, were pretty special. Yeah. And, and it may also be because, well, I think also, you know, I'm, I mean, the, it, there's a lot of technologies that, that came about and were used and, but uh, it's also something that's still pretty recent, you know, in our, in the public mind still at this point, you know I mean? I mean, there, there's a lot of, I mean, people have called like the, the history channel, basically, you know, world war two porn, you know, which in a lot of ways I, I, yeah, I kind of, I kind of agree with that, you know, cause it, there's a one point where the majority of their their content was was just that stuff on World War II basically or World War One some stuff like that but but um yeah it's still kind of recent in our our memory but you know it, it's it was such a huge war obviously is the reason why we still remember it so very well yeah but yeah no it's uh, I mean I'm sure there's plenty of uh, amazing atrocities that have been you know happened throughout uh, human civilization but there's some I guess you could say special things that happened. <laughs> that's that's way too positive of a unique things to happen again. I don't want to put that positive of a spin on it because it's, you know some fucking crazy it's crazy stuff
2: to happen. But there but. are there are unsung heroes, you know what I mean? I mean, just like the two gentlemen we'll be talking about with the demon core, I mean if yeah. if they would have let the you know, it get to mass criticality and, you know, instead of acted the way they did, I mean just like what we described um you know agent uh anderson described at the beginning of the show how um a, a nuclear submarine uh could have kickstarted you know a nuclear winter for us and you know just the decision and the fast act of not to do something or to do something was the that pivotal moment and that went a long way in my opinion so thank god they didn't do it and thank god they acted fast and depends on the situation
0: Mm -hmm. yeah we'll we'll get to all that though
2: yeah well that that particular one was
1: uh that was when we were chatting before the show and probably that's not going to end up in the episode because i didn't really take no i don't even know the guy's name i mean i I watched like a documentary on it but um well anyways uh probably for another episode i will get around demon core no no the the submarine guy Oh 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 yeah yeah, yeah yeah, yeah, uh, that's a fascinating story, and I'm definitely gonna get to it at some episode or other, maybe a mind boggle or something, but uh mm. probably not this one, but um, where was I oh yes <laughs> the the neutron bomb, very exciting stuff, and not to not to get um more there's there's certain things when I was reading about this that I just I kind of want to pretend like they don't exist, for example, there's designs, I'm sure they've made them for what's called a salted bomb that's a doomsday device. And they use a a different element around the bomb. So instead of using um, like, uh, I forget what like, you know, like plutonium and uranium or whatever to, to cause the chain reactions and stuff, I guess if you use like gold or something um, instead of it'll act a little differently. And instead of blowing up the way we're used to, it'll actually just scatter radiation and irradiate the entire planet and kill like everything. I guess so. That's wow. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> that's no good. That's and,
0: no good, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, and uh I, I did not know about that one. They, uh, Thanks for telling me. Yeah, I, I'm only scratching the surface <laughs> here. There's actually I'm, I'm not going to mention every type, but I also wanted to mention that. So the the first nuclear bomb, I believe, was the first test was in 1942, I think, and then mm-hmm. the the bombs were dropped in I think 1945. I might be getting that wrong. But it was a long fucking time ago, like almost – like we're getting pretty close to 100 years ago, right? They didn't have computers, no cell phones. They were building these things with like slide rules and abacuses. It's crazy. But <laughs> what what have they done since then? Well, it turns out they've been working on things like antimatter bombs. Um, so I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's matter where basically the the matter we're used to in our universe where the, the core of the – or the, the nucleus of the atom – the protons and neutrons has a positive charge and the electrons have a negative charge. It turns out there's something called antimatter where the nucleus has a negative charge and the electrons circling it has a positive charge. So it's the exact opposite Is you know, sort of like an alternate reality Mm -hmm. or whatever, sort of a weird thing. But that actually exists and they're trying to figure out, they can create tiny bits of antimatter and they've been trying to figure out how to get antimatter bombs because what happens when matter and antimatter interact with each other they actually annihilate each other and the end result is you get a much more powerful release of energy than you do through nuclear fission or fusion so you can have a much more powerful Mm -hmm. bomb and a much smaller package and i'm hoping that this is just theoretical but if you consider that the nuclear bomb was all the way back in the 1940s it stands to reason that they might have advanced a little bit since then uh you know I hope not, but (laughs) there's, there's more than that. And you can look up all of these, but um, my conclusion that I came to uh, after doing the research for this episode is that uh, like, like I said, last time, remember you're talking about the funguses. I just want to reiterate that scientists fucking terrify me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Fucking terrify me. And Mm -hmm. I have a perfect example for that. So I found this when I was reading up on some of this nuclear stuff before they, did the first nuclear test. They called that test Trinity. One of the physicists involved who was working with the Manhattan Project by the name of Edward Teller, he did some calculations and he came to the conclusion that there was a possibility that when they detonated the nuclear bomb, it might cause enough of a, it might be hot enough to where it could ignite the entire atmosphere and cause a chain reaction that would burn the entire planet. Yeah, the the whole atmosphere. yeah. Yeah. I remember hearing about that it would just cause like a, a runaway chain reaction. And he told his coworkers and, and they were, some of them were concerned. Some, some of them said, ah, it'll be fine. Um, mm-hmm. Op- hogwash. Oppenheimer, the the head of the, de, you know, the department of, you know, killing people with bombs said, oh, that's a terrible possibility. That was a quote I found of his. It's short and sweet, I guess. Um, Well, other people sort of did calculations. <laughs> some of them came to the conclusion that it was all hogwash. I won't happen. Other people said it's kind of worrisome. Uh, but at the end of the day, they said, ah, fuck it, light 'em up. And they dropped the bomb <laughs> and luckily it did not ignite our atmosphere on fire. <laughs> yeah.
0: No, nah, but we really want a really freaking big bomb though. A yeah. A really big one bigger than everybody else's.
1: Well, I imagine they're thinking, well, the, the, so the Nazis had been working on nuclear bombs. They couldn't get it to work. Yeah. So probably we're figuring. Well, somebody else is going to do it sooner or later. We might as well do it first, you know. Get.
0: Yeah, which is. I mean, it makes. I understand that, you know. Yeah, somebody somebody's going to have the swinging dick in
1: the neighborhood, right? Right. I guess mm-hmm. it's us. Well, it's not a bad thing, right? <laughs> and well, at that point, yeah. Before, before they let it off, uh, Enrico Fermi, who's a um, one of the more famous physicists. Uh, was working on the project as well as a, as a joke, I guess he was taking bets on whether or not the test would kill everybody on the planet. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, dude, these, I read about <laughs> these scientists. It's like, these guys are fucking nuts, dude, fucking nuts. <laughs> All right. So that's my little bit. I just want to do a little intro there on some nuclear type weapon stuff. And uh, I'll let I'll let one of you guys take over, and then um, then may, I'll talk a little bit more about some airplanes and nuclear bombs and stuff uh, a little later on. Yeah, so uh,
0: I guess I'll go. Um, my subject is radium, and uh, I actually had quite. I remember hearing about this subject like when I was younger and stuff, and uh, hearing about the radium the radium girls I think they were called. Um, you know these workers. Uh, anyway, so radium is is a chemical. Um, it's an element uh, that uh, you know. It, it's a it's a, a highly radioactive uh, isotope. I get. I think it is. Was what it is. It's a uh, categorized. I think as. But anyways, I don't understand the science behind it. But I continue either way. So um, it was developed in uh, 1899 by um, this couple, Marie and uh, Pierre. Uh, curie i think is how you pronounce oh, it Oh,
1: Madame curie all right yeah i know about her madam yeah Madame curie yes fucking hero dude she died for science
0: yeah yeah there was a lot of people that, that died early because of uh some of the well braden was a big one during this uh, uh particular uh era of time but um but yeah right around the turn of the century there uh, radium started to become a very, very popular product. And, and radium was used in all sorts of different products, like from anything from, you know, uh, paint to uh, energy drinks. It, it was it was uh, actually promoted uh, very heavily as like a, a cure-all. Um, I think it was in 1904 or 1903, I think it was 1903, there was a doctor, uh, William Meyer, used uh, radium to actually treat a uh, incurable uh, tumor, which is, you know, what, the, what they called it at, at the time, was an incurable tumor because it wasn't something they could just lance off. You know what I mean? Um, and so uh, it was observed that the the thing shrank, uh, became less painful. It didn't uh, cure the guy; um, he still had the tu- the tumor. But it did. You know, they did make ob- observations, which you know gave them the belief. Well, hey, if it can, you know, work well against this ship, then well, what else can it do? It must. It must be able to do all, all kinds of good stuff, right? Um, so they there's a lot of different people that started uh, using it in, in, in you know countless different products. Like I said before, energy drink drinks. So they you know they they thought it, it you know it, it must give you energy, right? Because uh, people that worked with this product early on too. Uh, were actually known to glow uh, dimly in the light, like if they're walking home from from work, for example. Um, so, uh, anyways, so uh, it was used in stuff like energy drinks, like I said before, face creams, uh, makeup for women. Um, they would have an, you know, lipstick and, and uh, fingernail polish. They even used it like in wallpaper and stuff like that. Um, toothpaste. That was one of the th- one of the ones that really got me too. I was like, holy crap, toothpaste, because One of the things about radium is, um, I wouldn't be able to explain it to uh, the greatest depths, but it's um, the way it absorbs into your body is it absorbs into your bones most uh, thoroughly, I guess you could say. And um, one of the biggest types of cancers that people will get when when in contact with this is bone cancer. It's one of the most common things that people get. Um, If they're coming into contact with large amounts of it, they'll get a lot of different uh, symptoms like their teeth falling out the gums after the teeth fall out, they don't heal, you know, Um, you know, their, their skin will be uh, frail to the touch, you know, it wouldn't take much to uh, create, uh, you know, a a wound of some sort, you know, or, or bruising even especially bruising. But I mean, yeah, yeah, the the list of uh, ailments because of coming into uh, contact, long sustained contact with this stuff. um, The list just goes on and on. It's all, it's almost endless. So, um, one of the things I wanted to talk about, like I had mentioned before, was the radium girls. And um, this term was dubbed after a couple lawsuits, like in the, uh, I think it was in the the mid-1920s and uh, in the 30s, too. Um, Unfortunately, these lawsuits, it took a while for the industry to kind of react, and it actually took government intervention later on, decades later, actually, unfortunately, until things kind of really got stopped dead in their tracks, but... So, the radium girls were groups of girls that worked in these factories uh, that made watches, luminescent watches, because radium was also, uh, you know, they could uh, mix it with. uh, um, I forget what they mixed it with, but uh, they could make it um, a luminescent paint. And uh, like I had mentioned before, also, you know, it was used in the uh, the nail polish to make you know your nails glow, uh, is what I was getting at, but. So, not everything was used for a luminescent, but the watches were very, very popular. It was, you know, a new fad. Everybody wanted a new glowing watch. The thing lit up in the dark and everything, you know? I mean, you know, we're we're talking about, you know, 1905, you know, know, around that era. So, that was something that back then was really amazing. A lot of people wanted it. And radium actually became, at that time, one of the most uh, expensive substances, like per gram, you know? Um, So, anyways... These workers, uh, they, the, these women that worked in these factories that painted watches, um, they typically got paid okay, but, uh, you know, th- this was also during, you know, a depression period as well. Some some of these uh, periods were, you know, um, they were working in these factories, so there was a lot of uh, people complaining about it, but there was also a lot of people saying, you know, basically they had the attitude of, you know, you, sh- you got a job, you should kind of just shut up, <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, so these painters they'd be obviously be painting with this uh, this radium paint, gl- uh, glow in the dark paint, and um, it was common practice for for their bosses to tell them to lick the brush to create a new fine point to the end of the brush. Um, one of the uh, the alternatives to them doing that would be, you know, for them to spend more money on supplies for them to wipe the brush off on stuff, you know. So it's it's cheaper to have them just lick it, and uh, you know, the radium was. For some people, it was it was known pretty early on that you know radiation isn't necessarily good in large quantities. You know, but there was such a profit to be had. You know, I mean, and some of these lawsuits actually proved you know the fact that the, uh, the you know these companies knew that it, it was it was dangerous and they had actually looked into it with their own doctors, but just hadn't released the uh, the results. You know what I mean? But so, anyways, these women were 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 licking radioactive paint all day long, you know? And, um, they also would do things like they, their stories uh, that were told of like, you know, these women would paint themselves with the, with the paint just to kind of like, you know, they paint mustaches on themselves or, you know, use it as makeup or whatever, just, uh, for, for shits and gigs, you know? And, uh, it's, it's, you know, the, the documentation of the, their woes afterwards, the, the long bouts with uh, you know in the hospital with cancer and, and all sorts of different uh, diseases you know it's pretty sad because these lawsuits that, the lawsuits that I was talking about too um, you know they were kind of like drug out and and the the first one that happened it was I, I think uh, they, they settled out of court in 1928 and so you know obviously they, they signed non-disclosure agreements so they didn't they couldn't talk about it. The, um, the second big one, and there were more than just these two, but these are the two most common ones that were, you know, were talked about, uh, generally are talked about, um, is in 1938 and, um, they, they had to pay a bunch of money to a lot of workers and stuff. But, uh, unfortunately, like the, uh, the structure of the payment w- was that they would receive payments like monthly payments, you know, um, you know, they would be, I think it was that they were awarded a lump sum, but they weren't given it immediately, and I think that's a I mean that's a pretty low down freaking tactic, you know what I mean? Because what they were banking on was that these women weren't gonna live long enough to collect all the money. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I mean shit, that's that's it's pretty damn low. Lawyers. I don't know, right? It's, it's it's cold, man, but I don't know, it's uh it's it's uh something that I I find a very interesting subject because You know, it wasn't a really long period of time that radium was used in so very many uh, um, consumer products and stuff. But, I mean, the the way it was treated and how it was embraced, uh, I find extremely weird. And I guess it makes sense for the time, I suppose. But, um, you know, I mean, like like I said, it it was uh, treated like a a cure-all. They would use it to to uh, treat like stuff like acne baldness uh impotence <laughs> you know what i mean impotence <laughs> uh, i mean they uh, i think i someone uh, somebody was trying to use it for like insanity too you know it's, it's like one of those uh, snake oil type things you know where you know you, you get you know some some silver tongue devil salesman you know telling you this telling you that you know oh, it's going to uh, it's going you got red spots On your back or something? No, I don't care that, Sonny. No problem.
2: It was (laughs) so widely accepted, though, and so popular at the time that anybody would... I mean, they just took it at face value. I mean, the bosses that were hiring these women were told it's 100% safe, you have nothing to worry about. I mean, they enjoyed the fact that when they would walk home at the middle of the night, you would see some of them actually glowing. And if I'm not mistaken, long after uh, their unfortunate early you know, deaths that, uh, a lot of them are actually still emitting heavy doses or not heavy doses, but enough to be lethal for a personal, you know, for a person, um, still emitting that from their graves. So that's just crazy. And a lot of them didn't see that. Yeah. That justice. It was too late. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah, I'm uh, like, um, I th- actually, I found a, uh, kind of a, uh, a sad coincidence. Like in, in, um, so, so the the guy the doctor that um, that uh, invented the radium paint he wasn't the one that actually ended up uh, ended up patenting it, it was actually Tif, uh, Tiffany and Co and company whatever no way. Tiffany whatever that, oh. you know the famous company they're the one that patented it but um this guy uh, William Joseph hammer he was the guy that actually um, invented the radium paint and um, he he actually was a very accomplished guy um, I, I see kind of the reason why yeah, he may have invented a paint, but he wasn't necessarily really uh, interested in it. That's why he didn't patent it. Uh, it kind of makes sense. But So um, he was actually uh, – it's said that he was the first person that recommended using radium as a treatment for cancer. And um, he, was, he was also involved with the, the, that Dr. Willie uh, Meyer uh, mm-hmm. who used the radium to treat uh, um, that tumor that I had mentioned earlier. Um, those guys work uh, closely, uh, closely together. And um, I think he was involved in that very treatment with that tumor. I'm pretty sure it was him and uh, Dr. Meyer that did that treatment. But um, so it's, it's kind of sad that like, you know, he, he actually was trying to use it for good and, and stuff that like, you know, radi- uh, radiation, radium, not necessarily, you know, early on in like cancer treatments and stuff like that um in yeah, radiology I guess you could say right that's the how the the term other that industry is known now right yeah but um well, they I mean, back s- then it wasn't
1: they still use radiation to treat cancer very very commonly that's very common yeah well, but not but
0: not radium though yeah
1: not radium but who knows yeah. that that particular piece of it might have a little bit of uh truth behind it to where it might not have been 100% snake oil i don't know i'd have to look into it
0: Yeah, yeah. So, like, uh, but like I said, though, it's, it's, you know, it's it's like, it's kind of a a weird situation because he he was the guy that um, created that paint that affected so very many people, you know, the the people that worked around and stuff. And it wasn't just that paint, it was radium. He wasn't the one that invented radium, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it kind of sucks. He was trying to help, but he actually ended up negatively influencing quite a few people, Hmm. you know, Uh, just, uh, just within that paint, because that paint was used in all sorts of different things, you know. Um, it wasn't just the watches, but there there was you know thousands and thousands of people that that worked in that industry because how fast it it sprung up too you know.
1: Don't they still use that in watches today? Oh yeah,
2: most definitely.
0: I
1: uh, I don't. Is it radium? Uh, I they mean, stu- if it's uh, not
2: exactly radium, then it's some form of it. I think it was during the, the manufacturing process. It was when it was in the most lethal form. If it's exposed to the air and on your skin constantly, I think it's a different story, but. The minute paint in the watch, I don't think it has a strong effect, but I could be wrong. I could be completely wrong. So,
0: well, yeah, I, I I really don't know myself.
1: Hmm. I'm
2: just picturing, you know, going
1: out instead of popping a little blue pill. You you pick up a lady from the bar. You take her home, and she's she says, "Why is your dick glowing? <laughs> <laughs>
0: I rub some radium cream on it, baby. <laughs> yeah. Do you want some super mutant babies, baby?
1: <laughs> well why don't we move on to uh, Agent Kruger's topic
2: alright, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Demon Corps before we knew it as the Demon Corps it was intended to be dropped in Japan along with Fat Man and Little Boy in 45 due to the surrender of Japan that was no longer necessary and after the bomb no longer being needed for any immediate military use It was sent to New Mexico, where it would go and perform a series of tests to find out the criticality points um, for this core. What would get it to go critical? To achieve the giant ugly explosions that we know and affiliate nuclear explosions with, obviously, that has to be achieved through a reaction and those reactions were achieved with uh, rat-trap-like boxes that surrounded uh, the cores, such as Fat Man a Little Boy. When those traps were sprung, they would release a series of micro-explosions that would create a reaction onto the core, giving us the result that we were looking for. After the two successful bombings, a core was taken to New Mexico, to study that exact moment of criticality and to achieve the criticality without an explosion. Within two years of studying the core, two physicists unfortunately would meet their early demises, one Harry Doglia and one Louis Slotin. Harry doglia would use the method of irradiated tungsten bricks by placing the bricks around the core and using them in a mirror-type fashion these bricks would bounce the radiation beams that would be shooting out of this core. They weren't visible to the eye, but um, a lot of the Geiger counters and a lot of the instruments that they used to measure a lot of this stuff were around, obviously. When they would place a lot of these bricks around and get it to the point of surrounding it as a, a completely, uh, they would get high numbers of radiation and large spikes. And this is exactly what they were aiming for, getting that moment of criticality. They wanted to just teeter on the edge of waking up a sleeping giant. And one late night, Doglia decided to do a little extra credit activity and go in after office hours and experiment on the core itself by himself. I mean, you could never pay me enough money to do that, but uh, Doglia, man of his uh. His craft definitely was committed to his work. As Doglia would place the orientation of Bricks how he normally would, this one night as he was conducting this experiment by himself, an unfortunate accident happened. And I like to chalk it up as a case of the worst moment of Butterfingers you can ever have. I mean, it is terrible. This... a uh, um, Just a simple accident turns into this dire situation. As Doglia was placing the bricks around the core, one brick unfortunately slipped from his hand, striking the core dead on. This was not what he intended to do, obviously. This was a complete freak accident, and in that moment, a flash of blue light, per Doglia's recording of the actual event, stated a heat of wave and blue light emitted from the core, and he could feel it, and as he reached for the brick, within a few mere seconds of flicking it off of the core, he was exposed to a huge amount of lethal radioactivity. If anyone would like to see pictures of it, it is gruesome, and I do warn you before looking it up, it is a sight to be seen. But then again, as that old tale saying of uh, horror, You know, curiosity killed the cat, unfortunately, and Harry Doglia was a cat in this moment. The hand, if you do choose to see it, is very gruesome, but it definitely educates us on the effects radiation has on the human body. And Doglia, being a man of science that he was, donated his body for that exact reason, so future physicists and scientists alike could study his body, and understand the effects of radiation to the human body. Hats are all off to him. Now the core was not done with Doglia. Unfortunately, another scientist physicist would be claimed by the core and it was one of his colleagues, Doglia's colleagues, Louis Slotten, another physicist who would take the reins and lead the experiment and actually take over everything um, was friends with Harry Doglia and knew Harry Doglia quite well, to the point where he was with him by his bedside on his dying days. Slotin had a pretty good idea of what the effects would do to the human, and what he was playing with. I mean, he wasn't playing with your regular fire here. Nuclear fire is not regular fire. Louis Slotin would use these core experiments in a different manner than Harry did. Harry would use bricks, tungsten bricks, to side by side, to stack them all around the core. Lawton did a different approach. He would put the core in two half spheres, one in the lower half, while the other half of the sphere would loom above the core ever so slightly he would lower the top half of the sphere down onto the core just so slightly that the two plates would barely, barely connect. And if they were to ever close onto each other, a catastrophe would surely strike. One day on a routine procedure that Zlatan was so accompanied to doing, he was lowering the top half onto the core, and unfortunately, the screwdriver dropped. As it fell to the floor, The top half slammed down on top of the core, creating the blue light reaction that Harry witnessed himself and which led to his death. Slotton, within the same position that Harry was in not too long ago, reacted just as quick and grabbed the top half of the sphere and flung it off of the core. In that moment, in that few precious seconds that transpired between hand making contact with that top sphere, he absorbed. A radical amount of radiation. And still to this day, one of the most intense amounts of radiation a human being has ever been officially recorded as ingesting. As the accident happened, there were people in the room with Slotin, Unlike Harry, who was by himself late one night. Slotin was doing this as a routine checkup. On hours, official, everything was by the books. So this was a routine procedure. Everybody in the room was subjected to high doses of radiation when the accident happened. Immediately, everybody tried to get out of the room, but Slotin stopped them in their tracks, told them to come back, threw them a piece of chalk, and told them to put precisely where they were standing in the room when the top half of the sphere hit the bottom half, and when criticality was achieved. After everybody marked down the spot of where they were, Slotin was able to calculate how much radiation was absorbed, and quite frankly, how much their lives have been just shortened. Nine days later, Louis Slotin died at the age of 35. Louis Slotin died in the same hospital as Harry Doglia died, to the same hunk of plutonium that his friend died to. Since 1945, there have been 60 criticality accidents throughout the world, 21 of which have resulted in deaths. The Demon Corps was supposed to be detonated over the Bikini Atoll. However, it was melted down and redistributed through the entire United States arms pile, essentially giving it another half-life.
0: I feel like we can make like a Demon Corps song, you know? I was thinking, like, 80s hair, hair metal. Oh, yeah, Dim-core, dude. core, you know?
1: Yeah, I could see that.
0: You'll get caught in the demon core. Ah, it doesn't really. The syllables don't work out, really.
1: Nah. you got yeah.
0: kind of, Whatever. Do
1: you have to skip a, instead of demon. You you have to do that in one syllable. You're like, demon core. You know, like
0: that. A core. Back through Oh, that's a different song. Never mind. Demon core. Powder time.
1: All right. Well, um, I've got a little bit more to finish up the episode here. I wanted to talk a bit about airplanes that I heard one story that I'm going to talk about here where an airplane accidentally, a uh, Air Force airplane, accidentally dropped a nuclear weapon, but <laughs> I thought, you know, how am I going to possibly find enough stories to kind of fill enough time to make an episode on this topic? Turns out- Not only did I not have trouble, there are so many stories of something like this happening that I just chose one year. I just chose 1950. There are so many stories of like an airplane crashing or a nuclear weapon getting lost or something that uh, we could do multiple episodes on just that. Like I feel like you could do an entire podcast on just like nuclear shit that went wrong. So I'm going to talk about stuff from the year 1950 uh, involving Air Force airplanes and nuclear bombs. So the first one, I'm going to talk, whoa, whoa, what was that? Was that a nuclear bomb?
0: Yeah. That was a nuclear bomb, yeah. <laughs> no, that was one of those radiation yeah. bombs.
1: Uh, yeah, I, c- I could smell it from here.
0: <laughs> mm, oh, it smell smells like the 1950s. You know, it smells like the 1950s. Yeah, it
1: smells like uranium. <laughs> 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 all right sorry i couldn't help myself i digress <laughs> no it's fine it's fine <laughs> so on, uh, on april 11th there, a b-29 carrying a nuclear weapon crashed near manzano base near albuquerque new mexico uh the fire was so bright that it was seen for many miles away The bomb had nuclear, like a nuclear bomb, but also had like conventional explosives, I guess, as part of the, you know, ignition sequence. You use the explosives to uh, ignite the core or whatever. So the explosives blew up, but it was not armed to go nuclear. So it didn't actually go nuclear. But the plane, you know, that, that was just, that's just a little appetizer for what we're going to get the rest of the year. just a plane crashing. On July 13th, 1950, an Air Force B 50 also crashed. The bomb once again blew up and didn't go nuclear. This time it was near Lebanon, Ohio. Um, often these Air Force bases that these are, they'll take off or they're either they're taking off from or going to an Air Force base and they're near populated areas because, you know, people got to live somewhere, right? So when I'm reading through these, I just kind of imagine like, what if that bomb had been armed and it had nuked? Lebanon, Ohio, like what w- would the government have tried to spin that? Because there's no spinning, you know, nuking an entire city. What would their reaction be? It's, it's kind of crazy to yeah, think can't about. They can cover
0: that up. Yeah. Would they have used. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a uh, Venus or Saturn.
1: Yeah. Or would they have used it as like a, a false flag to like try to nuke the Russians or something? It's crazy. So the next one I have is on August 5th, less than a month after the previous one, a B-29 was carrying a Mark IV bomb. And that's that was a uh, Mark IV. Mark three would have been the fat man that they dropped on Nagasaki. So this was like the next iteration. And basically, the the one that they dropped on Japan had to be like hand assembled. And it was really kind of a pain in the ass to make. So this one was very, very similar to that bomb. But they made it more modular so that it could be assembled more easily. And it wouldn't take as much time to deploy one, basically. So it was carrying one of those. And it was, uh, the airplane had some, some things go wrong in flight, and they were attempting an emergency landing at Fel- Fairfield-Susan Air Force Base. And while it was trying to land, the bomb's explosive material detonated, or after, I, so it crash-landed, and then the bombs, like I said, they have like the, the conventional explosives and the nuclear part of it. So it wasn't armed, once again, luckily, the scientists or whoever figured this stuff out, um, they decided to not arm the bombs while they're being transported. Like they had to actually physically go and arm the bomb. So this one was not armed, but the explosives detonated after it crashed and that killed 19 people, including the crew on the airplane and some rescue workers. So that one was probably the most tragic one yet. And to cap the year off, we had a B- uh, B20, no, B50 that was returning from Canada. We had some secret nuclear weapons in Canada that kind of weren't supposed to be there. And they were transporting one of those back from Canada. This one had engine trouble and it jettisoned a Mark IV over the St. Lawrence River. And they set the bomb to self-destruct at 2,500 feet because they had the chance to do that. You know, when when they jettisoned, I guess they, instead of blowing up when it hit the ground, Um, again, it didn't go nuclear because it wasn't armed, but the explosion shook the entire area and it scattered about a hundred pounds of uranium over that general area. You know, like people kind of live there. (laughs) So that was the craziest one probably of the, of the whole year. And that happened in November. So that was the last one of the year. Um, so 1950, they had a lot of accidents for nuclear weapons, But there's one that happened a few years later that I want to end on because this one is one of the crazier ones. And I've heard this story before, but this one happens way, way later in 1958. It's called the Mars Bluff B-47 nuclear weapon loss incident. If anybody wants to look up particulars on this case, this happened on March 11th of 1958. An Air Force B-47E-LM, B-47E-LM I guess, stratojet, took off at about 4.34 p.m. in the evening. It was on a mission. It was scheduled to fly to the United Kingdom and then North Africa as part of Operation Snowflurry. The pilot, sometime after takeoff, the pilot received an error message indicating that the bomb harness locking pin was not engaged, so he sends the navigator back to take a look at the bomb. The you know just I, I love reading these stories because I'm just thinking, okay, you're you're the navigator, and the pilot's your boss, and he says, hey, there's something wrong with the nuke we got chilling in the bomb bay. Go take a look, and you got to hike your ass back there to the bomb bay, you know, with this big friggin' nuclear bomb sitting there and just kind of like investigate what's happening. Well, while he was investigating the navigator was kind of hanging off the thing to to kind of see what was going on. He accidentally grabbed the safety emergency release pin or safety, I guess it's not a safety pin, the emergency release pin. (laughs) He released the pin and the bomb fell off of its harness or whatever it was in and dropped onto the bomb bay door. And the bomb was pretty heavy. It was about 8,000 pounds. And that forced the door open and the bomb fell from about 15,000 feet all the way to the ground and landed on a playhouse that had been built by a man named Walter Gregg, who's a World War II veteran, by the way. He built like sort of like a playhouse for his kids, and the bomb landed on the fucking playhouse. <laughs> so th- this was, I couldn't find exactly how powerful this bomb was. The bombs that, uh, that, landed on japan were um i think 15 and 20 kilotons and that's kilotons meaning thousands of tons of tnt so 160,000 tons of tnt is the maximum that this type of bomb could have been it was a mark six again it's still kind of based on the mark three or the fat man design but they kind of made refinements so this could have been about 10 times as powerful as the ones that we dropped on japan which is just insane to think about that. But luckily, once again, it was not armed and only the conventional part went off. The nuclear part did not detonate, luckily. But even so, it left a crater 70 feet wide and 35 feet deep. Now the Damn. The gentleman who built this playhouse had two daughters and one of their friends that were playing in the area. Now From, you know, I'm not like a super religious person, but sometimes I think maybe there is something to all that stuff because they were playing in the area and through some miracle, they were not at the playhouse that their dad had built them. They were a little ways away and they were injured, but they survived, which is just, just amazing that, I mean, a 70 foot crater, this thing left and these girls who probably were just playing at this house a few moments before, somehow survived this detonation. It's, it's scary and crazy to think about at the same time. The father, Walter, and his wife and his son were also injured. Seven nearby buildings were damaged in the explosion. Um, long story short, the family sued the government, and they won $54,000, or about $500,000 in today's money. But uh, just imagine you're a kid just playing on the playground and just kaboom! I mean, you're not going to see that come. It's going to be dropping so fast that you're not going to even see it's coming. One moment, you're going to be playing with your marbles or your dolls or whatever it is. The next moment, you're going to be flattened on the ground, not even understanding what happened. It's just, it's really scary to think about that this just so happened to randomly fall near these kids. But on the other hand, like I said, it's just really a miracle that these kids were not killed. You know, by this... Oh, yeah. And... I'm I'm picturing like what if you're that navigator and you pull that pin, and you're like whoa, and you just sort of walk away whistling like doo 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 nothing to see here, you know? <laughs> Whoops, a daisy. Yeah, just keep flying, just, just keep flying. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that that was. Uh, I read that story a few years ago, and it just always stuck with me. So I wanted to mention it on this show because it's one of the wildest stories of nuclear shenanigans. And just uh, again, with all of these, imagine if those bombs had been armed and they had actually detonated there. I mean, like I said, we're talking about 1950 and then one story from 1958. Um, There are so many of these stories that it's just a miracle that we haven't nuked ourselves. Somebody hasn't nuked us that we haven't destroyed the world yet with all this, these crazy technology that we have it's, -hmm. it's hard to believe that we're still here. When you start reading some of these stories, it's kind of shocking. All right. Well, that's pretty much all I had for, for my nuclear stuff. There's so much on this topic that I kind of want to revisit it again sometime in the future, because I'm really only barely scratching the surface of the stuff I've seen. And I even took more notes, but I kind of want to keep the episode a little on the shorter side. So I think I'm going to cut it short here, uh, rather than going into more stuff, but I took notes on like the Tsar Bomba, more nuclear incidents. It just goes on and on and on. Just the the amount yeah, of you stuff. You talk about the bikini, the bikini atoll islands or whatever. Yeah, I mean that's that's another one you could go into. There's just well,
0: shit. We we could even talk about the atomic age. Uh, you know, the the
1: influence it had on pop culture. Right. You know. Yeah. There's so much you could go into. By the way, speaking of the bikini atoll, there's a fan theory that. So, have you guys seen SpongeBob SquarePants?
0: Yes. Yeah, Bikini yeah, Bottom. Yeah, Bikini
1: Bottom. So there's a fan theory that the reason why all those fish down there are all wacky is because that's actually next to Bikini Atoll and they're all like irradiated and mutated from the nuclear detonations that happened there.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Which I like that theory. I,
1: I don't know if that's the intention of the uh, the guy who came up with the show or not. I forget his name, but uh, it sounds like a, one of the more plausible fan theories that I've heard.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: All right, I guess that's all we have. To either one of you fellas have anything else for us today?
0: yeah, that's about it for me.
1: Thanks for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you.